Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers Story Show. And today on Storymakers, we are in a new location, which is still at our house, just a different room. It's outside in the backyard. Yeah, it's but it's small, still a room. Yeah, it's yeah. a small room in the backyard. And we have so many exciting things to discuss. And the first of which is, what are we working on? All right. So I just got back from New York City. And that was so fun. And I had, I saw lots of family and friends, you know, in the three days I was there. And I had lunch with my agent, who's wonderful. And, um... And that was just really good for me because I just love people in person. It's really um, much easier to talk to someone mm-hmm. you you know, right? Um, and um, so she's hoping, you know, she has to read the manuscript and we're just working together, you know? And mm-hmm. one of the things, somebody actually wrote me and said, what's your pub date? And it's like, no, no, no. I got a new agent. We haven't sold the book yet. So I just want to be clear because I've been super public with this whole process. Mm -hmm. And so I will, of course, tell people, you know, when and if we sell the book and all of that. But um, I'm working on the book right now. But right right now, now, I'm not working (laughs) on the book. Okay. Because I made the trip Mm -hmm. and I came back. And so now I'm actually, you know, working on the house and kind of landing because I just came back yesterday. Um. And thinking about the next project, even though I'm also kind of waiting for notes on the last project, so it's always a little hard toggling, mm-hmm. but I'm actually kind of excited to, um, I read, the, la- the, ne- the last project was this novella that I wrote while I was waiting to hear back from agents, and I want to, um, and I edited it. And so I went mm-hmm. and looked at those notes and I was like, oh, look, I have I have notes, you know, and then the next, and then I want to do all of your kind of story stories structure story development steps on it Mm -hmm. i think that would be great and as i'm sort of getting to the end of this one i'm seeing how i just so want to know so much more at the beginning right if Mm. you know it's like it takes so long to understand everything about the characters i don't know that you can right but i actually think the steps that you give us really help to keep kind of keep digging deeper and deeper and to really look at the place where character and plot are the same thing and that that's Mm -hmm. like the most important part of story. Right. Right. I'm also just seeing, you know, what story does and the way that we, that's just, there's so much mystique about what story Mm -hmm. does. Why? I don't know. Like if somebody's writing, you know, um, some kind of musical composition, you know, they're not like, well, why does it have to have these notes? Or why does it have to have a certain beat rhythmic scheme? Or- I don't know. I think people have a very mystical approach to creativity in general. So I think... Probably. But I think somehow the... Because language is how we communicate and all of that, it... I don't know. It, it seems like the te- basic tenets of story somehow get you know critiqued as being formulaic or um mm. I don't to make know. them explicit because to make them explicit is is considered formulaic whereas you know that i just don't think that's always true you know perspective learning perspective sure you can critique perspective but like picasso understood perspective could execute could execute on perspective and so he wasn't I mean, so what was he doing? He was rejecting perspective, but from a very sophisticated point of view. Not He wasn't saying perspective isn't real. Mm-hmm. 
or pers- right so it's like okay story is is perspective in a way mm-hmm. right Absolutely. I, I mean it almost is exactly that and so it's profoundly important as a way to help us see and to make things seem three-dimensional and and real and all of those things and then yes you can definitely do other really interesting things with writing but i think if you sort of feel constrained by knowing perspective by even understanding it or being able to draw with perspective that's you know being able to do the basic function of story if that constrains you you're not going to be picasso when you break away from it you're going to be like me the person who doesn't know how to draw well a i think you do know how to draw in this extended metaphor and b you know there are times when I watch something or read something that other people have engaged with on such a deep emotional level that for me was surface and, you know, not that exciting. So while I agree there are basic tenets to story, what people react to is always going to be different, right? And so I think I kind of struggle with when the entire world loves something and I don't. Mm-hmm. That's always an odd place to be. But with regards to the sense of is story perspective. And in when you first brought it up, I was thinking of the other definition of perspective being that of your personal stylized mm. perspective. Point of view. Yes. As opposed to what's in the distance, what's right. in the pr- front, and the what front is, is small bigger. and angled and right. Things that are far away are small and right. off in the corner. And, and so... But I, right? When but you I said like... that I was story, absolutely is perspective. <laughs> no, but I think I like, do understand where you went. Right, and there are these rules that kind of that kind of make it something pop into something we can visually understand. I un- I understand that. I also think that when people are accusing story of being formulaic, it's because it's executed poorly. When people are thinking about the references for themselves about, oh, this story didn't work for me. And I, and I go back to looking at film or books from other cultures that are not the U.S. Because the structure doesn't, you know, I, I was not, uh, what's his bucket? Um, you know, here with a thousand faces. Joseph Campbell. Yes, I, I'm not Joseph Campbell. So I haven't read thousands of myths and that sort of thing. But I have read books that just don't feel like the function of story in those books was identical to the function of story that we might see in another set of books. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something real there to think of. So when we talk about story, what is it that we're talking about? Well, and it's funny because you teach structure and you have a deep mm-hmm. understanding, and yet you're often most drawn to things that are quirky and subtle mm-hmm. and um, kind of maybe off the beaten path or, you know, heading in a different direction. Well, because I, th- I think that, you know, I was thinking about this earlier, what, how do we make something work for ourselves? And it's about breaking it down into small, manageable pieces, any massive project, whether it's a short story, a short film, a feature film, a novel, a tome from Volman, right? You know, we just have, you have to have smaller chunks. And I think a lot of the stuff that we talk about helps to break it down Hmm. into those smaller manageable chunks and to think about how that 
series of chunks adds up. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's so amazing. I mean, so on the plane yesterday, I was reading The Woman in the Window, mm-hmm. a thriller by A.J. Finn. And then I watched Love, Simon, an indie film by... With Jennifer Garner. With Jennifer Garner as the mother. I just also want to say I've been sick for a week. So if you're wondering why I sound a little bit like... Kathleen Turner. If I were so lucky. <laughs> That's what's going on. Um, anyway, so these two very different things, the book and the film that I was, that I consumed on the plane. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting. Like, there was a kind of more or less midpoint, I think, revelation that just sucker punched me in the book. What? Is that the wrong term? No, no, no. You, you're just, we're, in the, we're still in what are we, what are we working on? <laughs> and... Just to finish my sentence. Mm-hmm. And um, in the film, I landed in friggin' SFO at the low point. So I'm like kind of crying and like, I'm just like, oh my God, everything's everything. And it was a, it was a great low point in that like he really lost everything. And that film did a great job because not only did he lose everything, but he lost things because of choices he made. His right. limiting belief. And it would, they just nailed it. And so that was a really clear, unambiguous example. Oh, you you made this choice to use people. You made this choice to do Don't these yet. things. And okay, spoiler. It's been such out a for good a while, movie. Love Simon. Yeah, Go see it. Rent it. Yeah, it's actually yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, right. It's it's a really smart movie. And the thing is that um, all of these. So it's like they they touch these notes. They have this. So they have the, the, that scale, but they. Um, but they just are so different. I mean, they're, they're you know. So anyway, I'm just in favor of that, that of those things. And I'm looking forward to using them in my upcoming work. What are you working on, Angie? I'm working on not coughing primarily. Um, <clears throat> I'm working on, well, I'm still trying to wrap up a couple of things on the film. And um, beyond that... I'm thinking about relaunching a project I had a while ago. And the idea is to really um, do experiments. You know, when I was in grad school, I had a great time because part of what you did was you really thought about what are you trying to learn, constructing an experiment, having a hypothesis. But in the arts, right, here's my hypothesis about crowdfunding. And then you go execute against that. And... Um, so I think previously when I had launched this website, I had this idea about growing in public, but I think at this point, what I'm interested in is really literally growing in public, not presenting a series of, um, finalized projects that are complete and suffer whatever, uh, failings of immaturity that, you know, my skill creates but that there's an actual explicit here is what it is i'm exploring here is what it is that i'm attempting to discover here's my guess and maybe i'm wrong and so um that's you know that and and through that trying to figure out some processes when you are a very independent collaborative artist how do you do that how do you end up making um your art when it takes on when when a regular version of what you do takes 30 to 40 people 
Right. And so, uh, so I exploring that kind of stuff. And I think that when I actually have a website built, we can talk about it and I'll put it up. But for right now, that's what I'm working but on. But it might be really fun to do it as sort of like as a salon or something where like, say, you know, the whatever, some the second weekend of the month or the second Saturday or whatever, mm-hmm. you're like, I'm going to do this experiment. You can put it out there and you can put it out there right. to your whole crew and anyone who wants to come try it can do that and also then somebody could say to you like hey i'm kind of interested in doing this in my next film can we do a like you know angie saturday ideas. salon experiment yes. ideas for experiments yes right i yes. mean that that would be a way to open to more community even if sometimes it's just you and the dog <laughs> in the backyard i love our dog right yes. he's he's collaborative he's very collaborative he's very collaborative so today in addition to what we have already covered, we are going to talk about bad writing, bad art, doing it badly, lowering expectations. Right. Because generally you're much, much happier the lower your expectations are. <laughs> Maybe. No, I think pretty much it's it's unambiguous. Maybe. Like if what you think is going to happen is the person's going to kick you in the head and instead what they do is give you a sandwich... It's like the best sandwich ever. You have a, you really, you actually like to lower other people's expectations. Yes. Yeah. So you have a strong ethic around lower expectations. Yes, I do. You don't expect a sandwich ever. No. And you don't like to suggest that you're offering a sandwich, even though you are like secretly making sandwiches like crazy. I would like to say that perhaps when I'm in my zone... I'm actually offering a panini. (laughs) But you wouldn't put it on the menu. No, no. You would just be like, like, I've got bread. Yeah, I've got some bread. I've got some sauerkraut. Sauerkraut is part of panini? No, no, I'm just saying like, this is what I put on the menu. Okay. I've got some bread. I've got some sauerkraut that I've left open. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So so what I want to just suggest is that in the lowering your expectations mode there's also something to be said for knowing the value of what you do have to offer of having a bottom line that maybe isn't scraping the bottom but i think when you have really high expectations you actually succumb to perfectionism so if you drop your expectations what if you don't sell your book what if i don't mean you just one (laughs) just one if (laughs) if if you that's kinahara it's a very hard place i'm sorry that you did that okay but it was you know the evil eye it was, that's what you do when somebody says something and then you yeah, but you don't do it in a microphone <laughs> <laughs> but let's lower our expectations and right make mistakes in your right. ear um no it's just because i have the headset on that it's like whoa anyway um so i'm gonna counter that i'm gonna say that uh, lowered expectations is better for everybody so this is our debate in today's but actually i'm not debating it but what here's what i want to say because you want to talk about bad writing well i had this insight so as probably everybody in the you, you know universe who's come across us me and whatever knows um so i was assigned this exercise in a, in a class i took a few years ago and it was try to write badly what? you were assigned that yeah i took a class yes okay because i Okay. You thought I made it up or something? No, because I told you about how I took it when I was at the JC. Okay. So you had you were told to analyze what bad writing is. Or no, something? we were told to write as badly as you can. Oh. 
And the idea being that in order to successfully write badly, you actually have, have to know a great deal about writing. Okay. No, I know that. I know that story. And I mean, I obviously didn't know the whole thing, but I knew that that, that idea that in order to be able to write badly, you had to understand a lot about writing and that you had had that. But I took that hypnotic writing class mm-hmm. and then she had us try to write badly. Mm-hmm. So trying to write badly, in my experience, and you can talk about yours, yeah. is um, really a little beyond just Annie Lamott's shitty first draft. Absolutely. So Annie Lamott, the idea of Annie Lamott's shitty first draft is like, it doesn't have to be good. So it is a lowering of expectations and a loosening up of your, you know, critic and all of that. But trying to write badly is a whole other thing, right? And maybe you had told me about it, but I had never tried, certainly. I had never tried to write badly. What? What? Well, let's just keep going. <laughs> Lots of commentary here. That's the inner, that's like you're like embodying the inner editor who's like. No, I think that I don't really want to go down a path where I'm like, I don't feel seen. So <laughs> that's. I know you talked about that. I had never actually tried that assignment, despite your having talked about it until I was assigned it by someone else, which is one of the tragedies of married life, right? Yes. Okay. So anyway, so I tried to write badly and um, and I've now assigned it a lot because, and so, and for a long time, you know, I, so that was a couple of years ago that I physically tried it myself and I, and what I felt and I really advise everybody to do this because I think there's probably myriad things to learn. And, mm. and I and I had a new insight, which is why I'm bringing it up. But so what I felt at the time was, one, um, there were things there. So, I, you know, there, there were things there that um, were better than I had feared, like like even good, right? Things that were like... So they, it was better than bad. It was good. Some of it, not all of it. But... But it was a surprise, right? And I mean, I do think that, you know, as you discussed, like, your, you know, whatever you, your fears are, you know, they might be uh, writing cliche, you know, writing cliches, um, writing sentences, the sentences that are too long or too short or uh, over melodrama, right? Like writing things that are too melodramatic or too interior. Like that's, I'm mean, so, so just kind of my things, right? Mm-hmm. What are yours? Just out of curiosity. If you were going to try to write badly, what would you be trying to do at this point? It might be different than when you were in J- at the JC. Probably, right? Um, I don't know, to be honest with you. Yeah. There's not a thing that pops up. Is there up. a thing you're afraid of? or? Well, I saw where you were going with that. And, um, you know, I think with my work, I'm often afraid that something that reads to me doesn't read to somebody else, but that's not a particularly specific. Not something you can necessarily try to do. Um, Although you well, could, yeah. you could try to be really obscure and private, like p- private jokes and mm-hmm. kind of just your own private Idaho. Idaho. Yes. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, th- if, if you, if you think of more things you want to add to that, Go ahead. Well, I think the idea of exploring really trying to do a bad job, I think the number one value of that really is to discover how much you do know. Well, and I have a few other thoughts to that, um, but go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was, you know, just, I think, I think especially new writers uh, underestimate what they know. Mm-hmm. 
or overestimate what they know. And um, the intention of writing badly, I think, opens up this other moment where it's like, oh, like maybe I do some of this stuff. And, um, And yet I would still think of it as being bad. Right. Okay. Like you, you do it in your practice when you're not trying to write badly, right. but you, right. well, I mean, I think, I think, so I think a couple things, I think that, um, one, I think some of the things we are afraid of, um, actually can push us to authenticity. Mm-hmm. So, uh, writing cliche, I mean, sometimes there's something that we're so drawn to and then we're not letting ourselves or, I mean, I've talked about this before. I remember being in a group of writers and people started talking about the voices that they avoid writing in because they're so drawn to them, Mm. right? Mine is nostalgia. Someone else's was really campy. Like everyone kind of knew, oh, this is the voice that I kind of, this is my like go-to voice or something that really I'm drawn to. But, but almost because I'm drawn to it, I don't allow myself to do it. And I, work away from it, right? So there's like, so I think when you start trying to write badly, some of what you're moving towards is actually authentic to you, but you're just afraid of it. So you prevent, you're you're not allowed to do it. You kind of set up all these rules for yourself Mm -hmm. and you don't really want to go into writing with a million rules for yourself because you're going to miss a lot. No, no. Right? So that's one piece of it. Writing badly is like what you're, what you think is bad might, might actually be better or more important than you're allowing for it. And then another thing is the editor, you know, that it's the whole sort of um, Judy, Jody Pucot, Pucot, Jody, mm-hmm. you know, her thing of you, it's, you can't write, you can't edit a blank page. You right. can edit a bad page or whatever. So once you have a bad sentence, it's so much easier to make that a stronger sentence than it mm-hmm. is to, to write an initial sentence. Right. So that's, I think, empowering, too, to go, oh, like, this is bad, but it's not that bad. I know how to fix it. Now it's good. This is my very bad sentence about feeling very lonely. <laughs> right. And then you're like, okay, there's something there, though. There, first of all, there's a wonderful, like, even just taking that, there's a great voice in that. There's, like, a great, and you're kind of playing with the, the kind of simple language of, like, a child's book or a, mm-hmm. right? You're, and that, and then playing with that voice, actually, that that's, you know, your bad voice, right? is There's something kind of wonderful about it. So if you were going to give something actionable to our listeners coming out of this, what would, what would it well, be? Well, let me, okay, let me, let me share one more thing that I okay. realized, which is, and I just realized this recently, so I've been doing this for a couple of years, not to mention all the years I knew about it before from yes. you, but hadn't, you know, acted on it. And I suddenly realized in, in doing some coaching stuff that um, it's it's just so art isn't really about good or bad and that mm. you are always going to be you. And the voice that says this is good or this is bad is so useless. I mean, that's something I've known for a long time. The voice that while you're creating says this is good or this is bad doesn't know anything about writing. Mm -hmm. It's not a brilliant aesthetic creator, editor, critic, anything. It's just fear. The voice that's evaluating you while you're creating is just fear. And even to call it your editor is misleading. It really, I mean, you have such, you have this. You write these brilliant things and you think, this is terrible, right? That's that's how you come out of a writing session, feeling this is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, but that voice actually, all you it only can be translated to say one thing, which is your writing. Well, I think it can be translated to a couple things, actually. 
I would argue that the reason you come out or one comes out or perhaps I come out of a writing session with that particular assessment. Sure, there's fear, but underneath the fear is want, right? And mm. I, and really what's happening is I'm asking writing to do something it can't, mm, which, which is, is like fulfill some emotional need, right? Sometimes so, it can. Well, <laughs> <laughs> writing in and of itself, like if you just were doing writing and it was just you were invested in the process and nothing more, maybe. But as soon as you're like, my work needs to go out into the world, it becomes a different conversation. And it's, you know, if if I came out of a session going, oh my God, that's terrible. And I knew it was my journal entry, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's one thing. Like Maybe care. Probably wouldn't care. But as soon as you're wanting that recognition, as soon as you're wanting the feedback, the connection, those different things that writing can give you, it becomes a different thing. And so I just, I'm just saying, like, I think underneath that fear is actually the want. Well, and this is actually a funny thing I hadn't thought of, but like another advantage to writing badly is that you can succeed. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you can say, okay, my goal is to write badly. I did it. For 20 minutes or whatever. Right. And then you're, and you kind of like, you go out of that feeling good. You're like, I want to do that tomorrow. Cause I, cause you, cause I did it instead of I failed. Well, at here's it. the thing. I don't think you're like, woohoo, I it feels failed so good. at writing. No, no. Oh. You think it feels good to succeed at writing badly. You know why? Because, because writing day isn't good or bad. Day after day. It isn't good or bad. Right. It isn't good or bad. It's, it's like me I, going to dance class. Nietzsche, I believe you. But what I'm saying is, Sitting down with the goal to write badly day after day, I think, would be very hard. Well, I dare you. I dare you to write badly for a week. It would depress me. It would depress me. To try to write. I think think it wouldn't. That could be one of your experiments. Yeah. Great. I think it wouldn't because when you, that's what it, what I think when you, there we go. Sit- I have a hypothesis. You have a okay. counter hypothesis. And so next week I will do a five day like starting now, starting tomorrow, Monday. Okay. So starting Monday, I'll write for five days in a row. How, how long am I writing for? 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Okay. I'm writing 10 minutes. I'm writing badly for 20 minutes, and then um, I'm going to try and figure out how I actually feel about it. Yeah. But, um, so it'll probably be two podcasts before we check in about it. Right. Just because of time, release timing. Mm-hmm. But, um, but anyway, but I think what I've learned is um, it just isn't even about good or bad, actually. I don't disagree with you. And so when you talk about trying to write badly, I really think you're sending yourself a message. Which isn't about you being successfully writing every day. It's about lowering your expectations. It's that you are not a good writer. That's my theory. Mm. And no, so, but you, because you started arguing voraciously for lowering your expectations. Yes, and I'm all about it. And I'm this just is saying, like lowering your target. It's not even your expectations. It's like you're lowering your target. Well, my point being, I think it's an interesting momentary experiment mm-hmm. but if you do it over and over you're actually sending yourself a subliminal message well here's that when I, you are a bad here's writer. when i do it i do it when 
um, I need to write. And for some reason, you know, I'm afraid or whatever. It just mm-hmm. It's like you never need to be stuck if you can write badly. Right. I think it's an awesome tool. You can, you can always write an, badly. I think it's an awesome tool. My real hypothesis is not about the project as a one-off or as mm-hmm. with its ability to move you out of a place of fear. My hypothesis is about the repeated phrase, I'm writing badly. All right. And I'm going to spend the week parenting badly. Okay. Like I'm going to just be like, screen time. If our children show Jump up with food. no shoes. Oh, wait. That's already <laughs> happening. It's just, it's, it's all, it's going to be all the same things, but I'm not going to feel stressed about it. <laughs> Okay. You like that. I do. You're like, that sounds great. That's not, you're not, you don't worry I'm sending myself a subliminal message no, I and do. I'm a bad I, parent. No, I think it's a, I think you are sending yourself that, but you already have that. <laughs> and I think other people already have that. You know, I don't, you know, you already have, it's just, it's this idea. I've been listening to this book about atomic habits. It's called Atomic Maybe Habits. Maybe this can be our steal this. Right. Go ahead. Um, And actually it was going to be my steal this. So are we segueing? We're segueing into steal this. Okay. You are segueing us. So one of the things he talks about is when you execute repeatedly on a habit, you're sending yourself a message. I am the kind of person who does this. And so, so that reminds me of Seth Godin's like people like us do things, do things like this. That's his right. whole thing. Right. right. And so, but he, you know, anyway, he's consolidated all these different studies mm-hmm. and research and blah, blah, blah. So a lot of it actually sounds very familiar. Tiny Habits was another book that was like this, but he was talking about like when you're building a habit, like let's say you want to go work out and for you working out means at the gym. Okay. So he's like, you know, you don't start by going to the gym every day. You start by changing into your clothes every day. And you're like, great, I did it. And then, you know, the next phase is I put on my clothes every day. I get in the car and I drive to the gym. You don't even have to go inside. You just drive to the gym every day. And you're telling yourself, I'm the kind of person who doesn't miss going to the gym. Then you go in and you work for five minutes. What's happening is you're developing, according to him, an identity around the behavior. So if, for me, taking that one step further, it's really important to label your behavior in a way that's going to make you feel good. So if someone's like... Um, I'm a writer, right? And they and, and so what they start with is I go, and this is actually the, one of the other experiments I'll be doing as we move in our new locations. Um, I'm the kind of person who shows up every day, right? Who does this thing every day. And it doesn't have to be that I'm writing well or I'm writing badly or anything. I'm just the kind of person who shows up every day to take this particular small action he doesn't say this yet so i'm not saying he's saying this Mm -hmm. but i think the power of language and that's why we're writers Mm -hmm. suggests that if you say i'm the kind of person who shows up every day to write badly could be undermining your sense of the value of writing your capacity uh, and build an identity around who you are as a writer I think just the way that it has felt to me to do it has not. But it doesn't sound like you sit down. It doesn't sound like you sit down every day to write badly. It sounds like what you do is when you get stuck, you're like, I'm giving myself permission to write. Well, I think by doing it and having the breakthroughs that I had, I stopped 
thinking about good or bad. I'm not, I'm not, I'm no longer sitting down to try to write well. I think that's great. I'm just writing. writing. Mm-hmm. And so. Just writing. I'm actually just reflecting back to you. What I you really, said. I'm there so is no excited good or bad. about this experiment and I want to start it like today. All right. We'll start tomorrow, not tonight. So I can be a bad parent like right away. Okay, you can start your experiment, but I think what we need to do is document what it is, what our hypothesis is. All right, let's do it right now because we're going to check in next week with the through the podcast. Okay, so. great. So for me, my hypothesis is that sitting down to write badly for five days will make me feel bad because of the repeated phrase, write badly. Okay. Okay. So you're, and so you're, and so we're going to find out. How it made you feel and also and anything else that it was like to sit down and write badly for right. 20 minutes. Do you want to make it 15 just to... I want to make it really tiny, but... Five. Let's make it... Yeah. Five minutes of writing badly, like... Every day. Every day. Right. As badly as you can, right. kind of thing. Okay, starting tomorrow. Starting tomorrow. And then, um, which just, just to locate us in the real world, is... Friday. January 10th. Yeah. Okay. And so we'll check in in five days... And, and I am going to um, try to parent badly. And I don't mean like be abusive or neglectful, but I mean um, not be afraid of them making choices that I worry will somehow. And let's also contextualize that our kids are still young enough that they're not going out by themselves. So we're not putting them yeah. in any danger. <laughs> I'm not being abusive or neglectful. I'm just maybe not being afraid of. Well, yeah. I mean, there's not being controlling. Right, but I think the controlling Trying also stems from fear, right? For five minutes a day. <laughs> five minutes a day. I mean, honestly, you could do that. For five minutes a day, I'm not going to stress about screen time. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to think about it. We'll work it out. It, but Okay, so my steal this, um, I just, I read this, this essay um, in Catapult magazine um, called, quote, I should hate forever to be a burden to you, end quote, colon, Lessons in Love from Virginia Woolf and Vita Sackville West by um, Gina Cadlick, G-J, sorry, no G, J-E-A-N-N-A-K-A-D-L-E-C, Jana, Jenna, Gina, Jenna, J-E-A-N-N-A. Anyway, and it's J-E-A-N-N-A? Jenna, probably. Yeah. Um, in any case, um, so the essay interweaves a story of her meeting and falling in love with and breaking up with somebody with her working on um, or reading her way through and maybe writing about. She's writing a memoir and she's also reading the letters of Vita and Virginia. Mm. And so it, it talks about their relationship and quotes the letters and kind of takes us through that whole arc mm -hmm. as it's taking us through her own personal arc and kind of looking at love, queer love, um, art, you know, being two creators in a relationship. Um, that would be interesting. Yeah, it's, a, it's, I really loved it. It was really fun to read. I just, you know, it was one of those came through on Lit Hub and I just stood there reading it. Um, and um, so... I don't know. I don't know. I just, I think one of the, there are different things I might steal from this, but one is that I'm thinking a lot about how we talk about what we talk about when, when we, we talk, talk about, about books. Mm -hmm. 
what we talk about when we read, you know, what we what we talk about, what matters to us about books, why we talk about books. I'm really interested in kind of shifting from sort of from uh, mentoring and building community with just writers mm-hmm. to kind of mentoring and building community with readers. And writers are a subset of readers, of readers hopefully. But um, <laughs> but I'm interested in the whole group and I'm interested in what story does for us. And that might be a great podcast topic, you know, why we why we need story, the whole sort of wired for story mm-hmm. thing. Um, so I just think this is a really beautiful example of how she kind of uses these letters to learn from and to understand her her own relationship. So I'm kind of just interested in stealing, being in conversation with books explicitly. Okay. I like it. All right. So um, a couple things to put on people's radar. Um, Devi Laskar, who has been on the podcast, is a dear friend of mine and a book writing world community member and book in a year and... Sonoma County Writers Camp attendee um, has her novel. Her debut novel is launching February 5th. She'll be at Books Inc. in Mountain View, and I will be there. Hopefully, you'll be there, and our kids will be there, and everyone will be and there. And the title of her book, for folks who want to look for it, is The Atlas of Reds and Blues. And it's getting on lots of the like books to look for in 2019. There's a lot of buzz about it, so it's really exciting. It's a beautiful and short book. <laughs> so um, I hope people will come and say hi to us in Mountain View at, the, at her book launch. I think she's going to have like cupcakes and it's all good. Cupcakes. She's also, if you go to Debbie S. Lascar, D-E-V-I-S, letter S, and then Lascar, L-A-S-K-A-R, which will be in the show notes, you can find out other events. Dot she'll com. Be, oh, yes. All around the Bay Area and I'll be at a lot of the Bay Area ones, plus Georgia and New York, which I won't be at, but, mm-hmm. but you could be. You listener, you. All right. All right. Well, and then maybe next time we can talk about your adventures in New York a little bit more because we did have, you had an event while we were there. You were there. Yes, with Christine O'Brien, whose book you should also pick up. So lots of really good things going on. Mm -hmm. And uh, more next time. Until next week. What do we have now? We don't even write have your a, we tissues don't have off. Write your tissues off. Oh, I thought great. that was our thing. Write your tissues off. <laughs> okay, we're working on it. We're still we're working gonna, on it. It's branding. Yeah. Okay.